I think, you know, sometimes you, um, you know, someone tells you their story and you, you're listening to it and that's a value. Other times you need to tell people about it in advocacy and other times you need to do something about it to help create change. So kind of see Girls Gotta Run as an extension of that, really working to bring those stories, bring the experiences of the girls to an elevated level where more people can understand that, see that, and support them in making change. That's Kayla Nolan, and this is episode 43 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and this week... I have got a super cool guest for all of you. I'm talking to Kayla Nolan, who is the executive director of Girls Gotta Run, which is the only nonprofit organization in Ethiopia using their national sport of running as an innovative approach to creating safe spaces, ending child marriage, and expanding access to secondary school for vulnerable girls. Kayla and Girls Gotta Run are doing some pretty amazing things for women in Ethiopia using running as a vehicle to drive positive change, and I am super excited to share our recent conversation with all of you. So we won't waste any more time. Let's get right into it with Girls Gotta Run Executive Director, Kayla Nolan. All right, Kayla Nolan, I am excited to sit here and talk with you, but welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you today. So, Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Let's start just by learning a little bit more about you. Who is Kayla Nolan? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, so I'm the director with Girls Gotta Run Foundation. Um, we work to empower girls through running in Ethiopia and girls who are empowering themselves through education and running. And um, I've been working with Girls Gotta Run since about uh, 2011. So I've been with them for a while and was living in Ethiopia for a few years, working with Girls Gotta Run and just moved back to Seattle actually a year and a half ago. How did you first come to live in Ethiopia? I was really through Girls Gotta Run Foundation. So I started um, you know, doing some research and getting connected with them back in 2009 was doing a research project um, with a scholarship and got connected with Girls Gotta Run as they're, you know, really the only uh, organization working with girls and running in Ethiopia. And so it was a great organization to connect with and, you know, started volunteering with them and staying uh, connected to their mission and uh, eventually came on board as the director in 2012 and moved to Ethiopia to help work on redeveloping our program model and uh, working to see how we can have a greater impact in the lives of girls in the communities they're involved with over there. And as director of Girls Gotta Run, is that your full-time job right now? Yeah, so I'm really fortunate to be able to work with Girls Gotta Run full-time and invest my time in um you know, helping to develop our program impact, develop our, you know, organizational structure and strategy and really see how we can leverage a greater, um, you know, impact and change for girls as well as their moms. Uh, We work with their mothers as well in Ethiopia and really see how we can use uh, running to open more doors for girls in education and beyond. And as you had mentioned, Girls Gotta Run existed before your involvement with it. Can you give me and my listeners a brief history lesson on the organization and its origins. Yeah, I'd love to. So we were founded in 2006 um, by a retired women's studies professor, Patricia Ortman, Dr. Patricia Ortman. And, you know, she uh, read an article in the Washington Post about how girls in Ethiopia were looking um, to running, to being able to access uh, higher levels of education, uh, pursue economic opportunities, and really use the legacy of running in Ethiopia to be able to, um, you know, attain greater opportunities for themselves and their families. And these tenacious women were pursuing their goals, you know, on and off the track. And she felt that, um, you know, they there should be some kind of support for women who are pursuing these goals. 
And a lot of the girls lacked uh, just basic athletic gear. And she thought, you know, the least we can do is send some gear to support these girls who are doing so much to create change in their own lives. Uh, so it started out as a small project to just send gear um, and provide gear for girls in Ethiopia. And since then, it's really developed um, around the needs of the community, around the needs of girls and their families to be able to um, use running as a tool to access greater opportunities. So um, we were working in a couple of different locations for several years. And then when I came on board in uh, 2011, I was working on you know, what had been our greatest uh, strengths and where have we been able to make the greatest impact and how can we really focus in on those changes and leverage that for greater growth for the girls. So I came on board to really help develop our program model, which is now what we're doing, uh, the athletic scholarship program that works on, you know, full educational scholarship, life skills, programming, um, running, obviously, <laughs> and then a savings and entrepreneurship group for the mothers of the girls we work with. So it's more of a sustainable program long-term for the families. So we've really, you know, gotten a lot of feedback from the girls on what part of the program was working, what time uh, in their lives should we work with them to leverage the greatest amount of change, and how can we open more doors for them using this incredible uh, legacy of professional sport in Ethiopia? How can girls use that uh, to build the life of their choosing. So it's kind of how the organization has evolved and really grown out of the needs uh, of the communities we work with. Cool. We're going to hit pause on that for a second. There's a lot there that I want to dig into, but I want to bring it back to you right now and to your start with the organization in 2011. How did you first become aware of Girls Gotta Run and what was it that piqued your interest? Right. Such a great question. <laughs> thinking back then, uh, it's been a long journey with Girls Gotta Run. So it's funny kind of thinking how things start. Um, well, I mean, I was a runner in high school and in college and uh, really enjoyed running in the community that it brought uh, to me uh, through friendships and also self-esteem and everything. Um but I just loved being involved in running, and I thought um, I was studying international relations at Occidental College and had this really great opportunity to pursue an independent research grant uh, where I could, you know, uh, research a stop, uh, research a topic of interest to me that, um, you know, might not be available otherwise through my academic studies. So, I was looking at the empowerment of women through running in Kenya, actually, and at the time it was politically unstable in the in the country, and so I wasn't able to travel there. So I started investigating what that looked like for women in Ethiopia, and could I, you know, potentially go over there and kind of research, you know, what had been the impact of running on the everyday lives of women and girls. Um, in the country. And so it's really how I got started. And I headed over there in 2009 um, on a scholarship to do the research for about two months um, and kind of crash landed there. <laughs> and luckily I had some friends that had family in Ethiopia that, you know, took me in and helped me figure out how to do this research. Because uh, at the time, a lot of people weren't um, researching women's roles in running in particular, the sport for development uh, sector was really just getting started. Now it's uh, expanded dramatically, but at the time there was limited research there. So it was a really exciting time to be involved um, in sport for development, particularly around athletics uh, with girls. So that's when I got in touch with Girls Gotta Run because um, they were really the only organization working with the demographic that was interested in, you know, interviewing, getting to know better. Um, and that's when I started realizing how complex the running system is in Ethiopia and how complicated um, the challenges can be that girls are facing at such a young age around, you know, 11, 12, they're making decisions that will change the course of their life forever um, and the course of their future children and family members. So it was really interesting to talk with girls about, um, you know, what they hoped for their future and how they were pursuing it through running. And, you know, as I continued to be involved with that research, I stayed connected with Girls Gotta Run and, you know, presented that research at different um, 
sport for development conferences at Oxford and Washington, D.C. And I was uh, working in L.A. <laughs> with the governor's office, um, actually on or the mayor's office on gang violence reduction um, at the time and was looking for a more creative opportunity to have an impact um, in the lives um, of the girls that I had met in Ethiopia after college and got reconnected with Girls Gotta Run as they were expanding into a bigger organization. And through that, I was able to kind of come on board first as a volunteer, but then eventually to bring the organization to the next level where we could have a greater impact in the lives of girls that we worked with and also bring on the staff that we would need to make that happen in Ethiopia. So it's been a real honor to be able to kind of bring that research and experience forward into uh, the work that I do today. And was that a natural evolution for you to go from a volunteer within the organization to a staff member of the organization who could make decisions and have a greater impact? Yeah, I mean, it's quite the quite the progress on that. <laughs> it's an evolution. I mean, and staff is a uh, a loose term at the time when I joined. <laughs> we were an all volunteer organization at the time, and so. Um, you know, I was living in New York, making uh, almost nothing, working with Girls Gotta Run to build kind of what it could be for the future. Um, but I think that, you know, now we're able to, we have five staff members in Ethiopia. We work with over 215 girls and women. You know, we've really grown a lot and look forward to what's in the future. But I think that the most important thing uh, that has helped me feel more comfortable making decisions and uh, being a leader uh, in this organization and in this field is really being close to the communities that we work with and getting a lot of feedback and input from the girls that we work with who really drive this organization and our impact. So I think that um, I see myself more as an advocate with the opportunity um, to bring resources to girls who are really working day and night to change their lives and bring um, a better future for themselves and their families. So I see it as an honor to be able to uh, help in any way possible um, and take that responsibility uh, seriously. <laughs> but so, it's it's been a big transition, I would imagine, yeah. So let's go back to your landing in Ethiopia. What were your initial impressions of the country once you got there? Yeah, so, um, wow, yeah, it was back in 2009. So Ethiopia is a bit uh, different now. It's really grown so much. I mean, um, it's amazing to see the growth that Ethiopia has gone through just in the past decade, economically and socially. Um, but when I landed, I, uh, like I said, I kind of crash landed. So um, I had a friend whose uh, cousin was in Ethiopia. So I thought I would get in touch with them and see if I could, you know, connect in some way and they'd be someone that I knew in Addis. Because uh, at the time, there really wasn't great internet or WhatsApp or a way to connect with anyone there. So I was just hoping uh, that it was working, that I could be in touch with them. And I arrived at the airport and I didn't know how to find them. And they actually found me because I was the only white chick there. <laughs> so <laughs> stood out. It was kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, so he came up to me and I was wearing a University of Washington shirt. And that's where some of his family was living at the time was in Seattle. So he was like, are you Kayla? I think I'm, I think you're the right person, you know, and, and, uh, I was so happy to see him and I was all set up to go to this hotel. Uh, well, it was actually a hostel. Um, but, uh, it's what I could afford on my research budget. So he was going to take me to the hostel and we got there and he's like, Kayla, this place is terrible. You can't stay here. This is awful. You're not safe at all in this space. Um, so we went to try and find another spot at uh, a different hotel. And he, you know, was like, this place is too expensive. Let's just go back to my house and we'll figure it out. And he was about my age in university. Um, he was great. And so we went back and I had, you know, lunch with his family and everything. And then uh, I was talking with them and I was like, you know, I should really try and find a place uh, you know, for tonight, where am I going to stay? And his mom, Frie, just turned to me and, and, you know, said like, you can stay here. You're part of my family now. 
Um, and I thought that was, I mean, it was definitely a loose translation, but I ended up staying with them for two months because I just kind of hung out with free a, and we got to, you know, really spend a lot of time together and they just opened their home to me. Um, so it was a really beautiful way to kind of begin getting to know Addis and getting to know Ethiopia was by living with uh, my friend's family there. So, and I was really fortunate to have that opportunity because, you know, Frie, she, she taught me how to take the minibus and like how to get around town and get to my meetings and get to know the culture. And I was definitely that chick that they were taking around for coffees everywhere. And it was just a really funny experience, but I'm just so grateful for them and being able to have kind of like a family um, that I was close with when I first got there. And I think it really enriched um, not only my understanding of the culture and family life in Ethiopia, but um, it just had to kind of operate there and learn learned a lot about cultural values and norms. Um, so it was a great kind of starting experience. I made some wonderful friends and just stayed connected ever since. So. And did you feel an instant connection with the country and its people? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, Ethiopia is an incredibly unique country. It's never been colonized. It has an enormously rich history, um, over 80 active languages. I mean, it's just an amazing cultural phenomenon. Um, so I think it's hard not to feel connected. <laughs> I think it's hard not to be fascinated by the history and the culture and um, just so many different lifestyles that are happening, so much change that's going on right now. Um, you know, there's jazz and art and food and coffee. I mean, what's not to love about that? <laughs> so I had a, I mean, I've had just such a wonderful time uh, being able to have the opportunity to spend time in Ethiopia and be a guest uh, there and really be able to, um, you know, hear different stories. A lot of my research in 2009 was just listening to girls and women and their families and hearing about their lives, hearing what they're going through, um, you know, what motivates them, what moves them. And I think that that's an enormous uh, opportunity. So it's been great to be able to, you know, spend time there and also try and do something um, to help the communities that have given me so much, you know, really enriched my life over the past uh, decade or so. Hey, hang with me for a second while I thank our sponsor for the show because it's an awesome one. It's my friends at Morton. Morton is the sports fuel used by many of the world's top marathoners, including Elliot Kipchoge, Mo Farah, Mary Gattaney, Des Linden, just to name a few. It's also what I used to break my personal best at CIM a few weeks back. I ran 227.33. I started the race with a bottle of Morton 160. I ran with it through 10K. Then I took gel 100 packets at 12, 18, and 23. I had steady energy the entire way, no stomach problems during or after the race, and that was a huge first for me. Morton's got two core products. They got a drink mix and a gel, both of which encapsulate high concentrations of carbohydrates to fuel you during your activity. They only use food-graded ingredients. There are no added flavors, colorants, or preservatives, nothing more and nothing less than what you need. Morton has a special contest for Morning Shakeout listeners where you can win heaps of free product. And here's what you have to do. Go to morton.com slash amshakeout. That is M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout and just register with your email address. Super simple. At the end of Morton's sponsorship of this podcast, they are going to draw 10 winners at random. Each winner will get a full box of 160 drink mix, a full box of 320 drink mix, and a full box of gel 100 packets. That entire package is valued at over $130, and you can enter for your chance to win at morton.com slash amshakeout. That's M-A-U-R-T-E-N dot com slash amshakeout. My thanks to Morton for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. And when you arrived, you had this interest in running. You were a runner yourself. What was your first personal running experience in Ethiopia? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I mean, wow. Yeah, I'm, I run, but definitely not at an Ethiopian elite level. So, of course, that was quite the adventure. Um, kind of like two 
two memories on that. My first memory was I was, um, I mean, because I, when I went over there, I was in college. So I was out with Teddy and his family um, and his friends, and we were all in college. So we went out uh, the night, like on a Saturday night or something, and we stayed up the whole night. We were out partying, and we were like driving someplace in the morning to get a snack or something. And I was sitting in the car, and the sun was coming up. And in the middle of the street, in the middle of the city, there were just runners. They were doing their, you know, the different drills, warming up, getting ready for workouts in the middle of, you know, the city in the street. And it was such an interesting takeover, you know, from the night before where it's all like parties and people hanging out, people walking in the street. And then in the early morning, it's just literally a city of runners. And it was just my first experience really seeing that lived culture around running, um, just in the streets of, of Addis, which was just so interesting, uh, to me and profound really. But then, uh, when I went running with the girls, that was hilarious. They were very concerned <laughs> about my well being, and would constantly point to like different holes in the ground that I was for sure going to step in and just kill myself. <laughs> and so they were very concerned also because, um, it's high altitude. So I'm, breathing heavily. I'm running slow. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just like following behind the girls, hoping that I don't fall over. Um, and they were just, I mean, <laughs> it was just a really funny experience having them try to run, but also protect me from myself, um, <laughs> while running. So it was great, but honestly, um, it's just, it's so much fun. It's always an adventure running, I think in the city in particular, because you never know what you're going to come across. And a lot of the times we'd run in the early morning and then uh, in a field or something. And right after that, you know, it becomes a pasture for cows and, and, you know, grazing animals. So it's just a fascinating, like shared space experience. So. And most of these people I imagine aren't running for their health and well-being. They're training for something I would guess, right? Yeah, it's definitely a mix. Um, like uh, in our program, we work with recreational sports. So the girls are here to run for fun and then also uh, compete and everything. But I think in the, you know, there's also runners for health and wellness in Addis and otherwise. Um, but running really has this legacy of, you know, professional level sport um, in Ethiopia and really opportunities at the professional level. Um, and so people are definitely training and getting after it. And it's fascinating because a lot of people don't have access to public resources to, um, to train. And so they're training in the streets, in the fields, you know, um, in the stadium, um, at Mescal Square is a famous spot for training in the mountains, like really using the resources that they have available. And it's just fascinating to, see how resourceful that is and how, you know, great of a workout that they're putting in, uh, the kind of work that they're putting in, in the spaces that they have. So I, I find it really inspiring. And I think that it's definitely just a part of the heartbeat of Addis is, you know, waking up, having the runners out in the, you know, out in the streets and everything, and then kind of the cars take over after them. But it's really what wakes the city up is the running. And has that been consistent since your initial visit there in 2009 or has that evolved over the years too? I think there's definitely an evolution. Um, I mean, the running culture in Addis is so prominent. So that has really continued. And and outside of Addis too, our program is in Bokoji. Uh, one of our programs is in Bokoji and it's uh, just a rural town where a lot of Olympians have come from. Um, and so there's just an enormous running culture in Addis and outside of it. But I think that it has evolved. There's more resources for runners. There's um, there's more uh, infrastructure around tracks and supporting that. There's gyms, a lot more gyms available. And I think it's just because um, running has become such a huge phenomenon, not only professionally, but also for wellness and for the general public. There's the Great Ethiopian Run, which is one of Africa's biggest foot races, is in Addis. There's a ton of different races in Addis for the general public. So I think it's just increased in interest and in infrastructure for it. So I think 
it's exciting to think about what the future of running would be in Ethiopia as it continues to open up to the greater public. So you did this initial, was it two-month stint on a research grant the first time you went to Ethiopia? Mm -hmm. What were you feeling when you left the country and returned to the U.S. after that initial visit? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I wasn't sure if I had ever come back because I was leaving. And I mean, you just never know what the future holds in that regard. So when I was leaving, um, I mean, I was really sad to see everything go. And I felt I felt that it was a really unique experience I'd had uh, with a family and trying to do research and getting to know a bunch of different people. Um, but I did have the feeling that, you know, if I ever came to a point in my career or my life that I felt like I wasn't doing something that was important to me or had the impact that I wanted to have in my life, I could come back to Ethiopia and try and find something to work on there. Um, really relating with the people that I had worked with because there's just so much that can be done with the, with different communities in Ethiopia, um, at a small level and at the grassroots level. I think that there's just an enormous opportunity, um, to work there and, and be involved in the culture and just an amazing opportunity personally as well to be able to spend time in such, uh, a beautiful, incredible, inspiring place. So I really felt like, you know, if it comes down to it, I can come back here and try and figure something out. Um, So it's funny reflecting on that uh, now. (laughs) You never know how things are going to work out. But um, yeah, I just really felt, you know, it's a special place and I hoped that I could come back. I just had no idea it would be in this role. Um, So it's really an honor to do it. One thing that's jumped out to me so far in this conversation is that advocacy, advocacy is something that is really important to you. Where does that come from? Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, advocacy is so important, (laughs) especially just mostly in this position, because I kind of see, you know, this role as director with Girls Guy Run, you're kind of in that middle ground where the girls, you know, currently aren't able to come and speak with people in the States or maybe internationally um, outside of Ethiopia about their stories and about what's going on in their lives. And vice versa, a lot of people that support this cause aren't able to come to Ethiopia. Um, You know, we hope that they would be able to. But I kind of see that position as an important one for, you know, taking these stories that I've had the privilege of hearing and that are given to this organization and being able to share that with others. I think, you know, sometimes you, um, you know, someone tells you their story and you, you're listening to it and that's a value. Other times you need to tell people about it in advocacy and other times you need to do something about it to help create change. So kind of see Girls Gotta Run as an extension of that, really working to bring those stories, bring the experiences of the girls to an elevated level where more people can understand that, see that and support them in making change. You had mentioned how Girls Gotta Run supports or now supports 215 girls and women. How do you or how does the organization identify who it's going to help? Right. So we work, yeah, I mean, it's we work in communities of high need. And so we kind of have three different um pieces to selecting the girls. We work with different community members. We work with schools, uh, youth and sport office, women's children's affairs office, uh, finance education, uh, and then the local government to, you know, come together and select at-risk girls and families that we can consider for our program um, and that should be invited to participate. And then we really look at, you know, one, what is their, are they at a socioeconomic risk, uh, what kind of home environment do they have? Are they single parents? Um, how many kids do they have? Where do they live? This kind of thing. Then secondly, we we look at um, their interest and goals in education. So they might not be the greatest student right now, but um, their commitment to education is there. And with support, they could thrive in their uh, educational goals. And then lastly um, is running. So we want girls who 
would like to participate in a running team and would get a lot from that and want to have a community in that regard. So those are kind of the three pillars that we look at. And then we work with the community to identify goals and families that would be a great fit for that. And then we interview the girls and we narrow it down from around 100 to 20. And we bring in 20 girls in each program location each year, um, also inviting their mothers to participate in our savings and entrepreneurship group. And what do the programs themselves look like? Do they differ from location to location or do you have sort of a framework in place that you can apply to the different locations? I'd love to learn a little bit more about how the program itself is structured and how it works for these women. Yeah, that's a great question. We work in um, Bokoji, Ethiopia, in, in Aromia region, and then also Walaita Sodo. So they're two unique locations with their own um, community needs and values and structure. And so we try to work with the community to identify the best way to implement our program, but we have an overarching structure that we apply and can scale in both locations. So Girls Gotta Run, um, we invest in girls who use running and education to empower themselves and their communities. So we have a set uh, program called the Athletic Scholarship Program, and we do uh, the three different program or four different program components with um, education, life skills, running, and the savings and entrepreneurship program. So we implement that in both locations. And so that program really starts when girls are most vulnerable of dropping out of school, which is around age 12. Um, age 14 is um, the average age of marriage in Bokoji, Ethiopia. Um, the legal age is 18 in Ethiopia, but um, because of cultural practices and cultural norms, a lot of girls face the threat of early marriage much earlier than that. So we work with girls a little bit before they'd be um, at risk of dropping out of school, entering early marriage, um, dealing with difficult cultural practices. Uh, and we work with them for three years intensively where we implement the athletic scholarship program with them, providing school lunches, school fees, uniforms, uh, tutorial, um, and then, of course, the life skills program where we do a monthly module on leadership, uh, HIV and AIDS, healthy communication. Uh, I mean, just a range of topics. And we so we're providing that over three years along with uh, sanitary pads, um, uh, female health uh, materials and everything. And then we also work with their mothers in the savings and entrepreneurship group where they meet every week to discuss um, entrepreneurial initiatives in their local community, save their money, how can they invest um, in each other's businesses and as a collective group. And so after those three years of that large investment, we do the alumni program where girls um, are providing an academic scholarship and an invitation to continue to participate on the running team as they pursue um, their education into secondary school and um, eventually into university. So our real goal for the program is to invest at a time when girls are most at risk of dropping out of school and helping them move from that primary into secondary level education by avoiding early marriage and being involved in the safe spaces through running and life skills. Yeah. And those are some really unique challenges and struggles that many of these women are facing, particularly in a remote area like Bakoji. And I want to dig into Bakoji itself here in a little bit, but how much of that is against the girl's own will, like the early marriage and the dropping out of school? Is some of it expected of them? Is it out of necessity? Are they making some of these choices themselves? I'd love to learn a little bit more about those specific challenges and struggles. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it's just a complex matrix, really, of influences and factors that are going on that the girls are experiencing um, at just, again, a very young age and at this pivotal time in their adolescence uh, where they're making decisions and decisions are being made for them that will alter the course of their life. Um, and so a lot of different factors come into play. Um I mean, we're talking with the parents a lot when we work in these communities and families are looking, you know, 
perhaps they're facing a financial difficulty and need to have their daughter be married so that she's taken care of by another family. Perhaps they want to um, continue their familial legacy and they want to partner with a well-off family or a, a, a family that, you know, represents their values. And so um, through marriage, they're able to do that. Um, there's also concern that, you know, girls um, will lose their value in marriage over time uh, because they won't be youthful um, for a lot of different reasons. And so um, sometimes they're married off early because that's seen to be their greatest value is in marriage or in motherhood as opposed to in education. So it's prioritized that way. Um, but there's just a lot of different reasons. Sometimes girls, uh, parents are even worried that their girls aren't safe in school, that they might be exposed to violence um, on their way to school or in a school environment, and they want to make sure that they're safe at home. So there's, a, you know, there's just a multitude of reasons that could come into play uh, for why girls might be facing the threat of early marriage. And girls have definitely been identified as uh, individuals who are able to, you know, make choices in their own lives. And one of the key change makers in the decision around early marriage, it's definitely in relationship to their parents and often made um, in regards to that. But it's been shown that if girls are able to advocate for themselves, they can influence their age of marriage. Um, and so we really want to be able to provide girls and their families with the tools that they would need to postpone marriage to a time when it would be most um, suitable for the girl and for her family after she's able to attain a better education, can provide for her own family, be able to have children later when it's healthier for her and they can sustain that family as well. So we have a lot of parents who are wanting to have their girls um you know, go to school and, and attain that education, but haven't been able to prioritize it um, for a lot of different reasons. And so it's usually the oldest male child that is prioritized in attending school. So really looking to work with families so that they can, you know, find the best solutions um, for these kind of challenges uh, for their family and their girls. And do you, as an organization, see resistance from some of these families or are many of them welcoming of the assistance and the opportunity that their daughters will have because of this program? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we work really closely with families. So I've gone and visited um, all the families that we work with, which has been a great opportunity to get to know some of the challenges that they're facing and also how they perceive the program and what their hopes are with it. Um, what, what they expect from it and what they hope to get out of it. Um, and we definitely have, you know, a supportive group of families that have received this program um, in a positive spirit and have really embraced it as an opportunity, not only for uh, their girls uh, to get an education and be involved in a national legacy of running, um, but also as an opportunity for their family because they might not have been able to provide that education for her. Um, so we've had a lot of, you know, positive reception. I think we've definitely had some challenges um, with just gender norms and uh, making sure that the program is very clear in the goals um, and kind of opening that up to the community because it's, you know, these are extremely difficult issues for anyone uh, to manage. And I think that it's important to work with communities with where they're at, uh, especially at the family level. So we've had some challenges, but luckily we've had great staff and family members who have been able to come together and talk about, you know, what's the best solution? How can we move forward um, in order to prioritize girls' education and participation in the program? So you've mentioned Bakoji a couple of times and yeah. the organization has a huge presence there. And Bakoji, as you had mentioned, is home to a lot of the greatest runners this world has ever seen. I mean, Dorato Tulu is from Bakoji, the Dababa sisters are from Bakoji, the Bekele brothers, and so many others. It's known, and there is a documentary, I think it's a documentary, definitely a film of some sort that I'll link to in the show notes called Town of Runners. Uh, and it's about Bakoji and the people who've come from there and its history. So that is embedded in it. Um, 
And I know just from doing my research for this conversation that Bakoji just recently had its first female coach ever, Coach Fatia. Um, and that is a huge step for not only women, but just running in general in Ethiopia. I'd love to talk a little bit more about her and her role in the town and how that's been received. Yeah, I would love that. Coach Fatia is fantastic. So I'm glad that you're asking about her. She is she is just an amazing leader for the girls and in the community. And we're so lucky to work with her. Um, so she is the primary coach for the Girls Gotta Run team in Bakoji. Um, and she is the first female coach in Bakoji, which is great. Uh, she came uh, first as a runner, largely in the 800 meter category. And then she moved into the coaching ca- um, world with Coach Sintayu, who is a world renowned coach. Um, He's a legend. Has, yeah, he is quite the legend, <laughs> both uh, in his work and also as a person. He's just wonderful. Um, but he has been coaching in Bakoji for about uh, 30 years, I want to say. Um, and he has is really the grassroots leader of why so many Olympians have come from Bakoji is under his coaching direction and his encouragement and really um, helping you know, helping young people move from recreational running into, you know, Olympic levels. So it's been incredible to see his leadership at that level. And, you know, Coach Fatia was his assistant for a while and then moved into a greater leadership position there. So it's been great to work with her. But it's actually, it's really funny that you mentioned the town of runners because when I was, um, I was in Ethiopia in 2009, when I first came there, I went to a competition uh, in a sella, which is just outside of Bakoji. And, uh, we were doing an athletics competition. I thought I would interview some people and it would be great. And I was walking to the stadium and someone came up to me and, and, you know, was telling me, well, your brother is here. Your brother is at the stadium. You have to meet him. And I was like, who is this person? (laughs) My brother is definitely not in Ethiopia. I was so confused. Um, but I was like, okay, I'll just go and meet this person. Um, so we go over there and it turns out it's Dan and Jerry, uh, from the town of runners. They were the filmmakers and they were also filming, uh, the competition here in Asela. And it was just really funny meeting them because, you know, um, Dan is, uh, Ethiopian British and Jerry is, uh, just, a white British guy. And so I guess I was supposed to be related to him in some capacity because we were both white <laughs> at the time. So it was just a really funny uh, coincidence. And so we hung out and I got to, you know, work with them more and um, they gave me a ride back to Addis, which was great. But that's actually when I first met Coach Sintayu and kind of the Bakoji team was at this competition while they were following some of his work as well as, uh, you know, the girls that are featured in that film. But um, I wasn't able to make it out to Bakoji at that time because there wasn't a paved road there and it was the rainy season. So it was a total disaster trying to get to and from Asela and Bakoji, which now are only about 45 minutes to an hour apart uh, driving. So it's just been a lot of change in that area, but it's been a really great time getting to know everyone, uh, you know, and see their work grow. So, yeah, Coach Fatia is kind of the legacy um, in the next generation, I think, of what's to come in Bokochi. And she really represents where that sport leadership is headed. And it's, it's wonderful to see um, Coach Sintayu bring women and men to the table of both coaching and athletics. He's had a really equal hand. As you mentioned, Mesra Defar, you know, came, was the premier athlete from Bokochi. And as a woman, she really broke ground on what it meant to be a female athlete in Ethiopia. And under the you know, direction of Coach Sintayo, it's great to see that he prioritized men and women, I think, for the benefit of the whole country um, so that their contributions could be equal in that sense. So it's great to see kind of where Coach Fatia, uh, her role is, and and I'm excited to see where it comes goes in the future. Well, not only that, but as you mentioned, having Coach Sintayo, someone who is revered, be so supportive of her and she was his assistant for a long time and now she has a more elevated role. And I think that sends a very strong message to everyone who is involved that 
equality is important. It is important that we elevate women and celebrate them and put them on a path so that they can be successful. And that's, I think that's super cool. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's just so powerful, especially for the girls. We have, you know, we have an all-female team. We have 60 girls running in Bakoji, um, which is quite the number. And we have a, you know, a spectrum of uh, young girls, girls who are new to running, girls who have been, you know, hoping to make it professionally. So it's a pretty diverse group. But Coach Fatia really treats everyone equally and tries to bring out the best in everyone and kind of divides them into groups so they can help each other achieve, you know, better results in their training. But she's also really a mentor, uh, talking with them about leadership and health, um, you know, safety, how to encourage one another, how to work together. So I think that it's just a huge benefit for the girls to have a female coach and have that kind of leadership and role model in their life that's part of their community every day. Yeah. Well, someone they can see who is that role model is someone that they can look up to and is someone that they can try to emulate in their own journey and learn from along the way. Yeah. I think it's really important to have that for the girls. What does life look like for a young woman when she correct me if this is the long term, graduates from the girls got to run program or moves on from it? Yeah. I mean, graduation is definitely a term that we use where, you know, we do an investment period with the girls uh, when they're younger. And so our goal is that they can achieve at least 10th grade level education because that's when girls can enter into the formal economy in Ethiopia. So they're able to apply for a job um, work outside of their home uh, for payment and everything. So it's really where they're able to kind of uh, enter into the economy. And so our benchmark is 10th grade. Obviously, we we would hope that girls can, you know, complete 12th grade and enter into university. Um, that's what we aspire to. But we really want to make sure every girl that comes through our program is able to achieve some kind of baseline educational level, um, moving from primary into secondary school so they can um, use that both in their personal life, but also in professional and social life. Uh, so that's kind of the educational piece, but then we're looking for girls, you know, a lot of the girls that come into our program are malnourished or they might have, uh, you know, been working on in their farm, their family farm for years. Um, and so they're really at a time where in their adolescence and they're growing. So their health, is enormous. You know, it's a, it's something that we really work on a lot is providing proper nutrition, um, proper training, making sure that they're getting the things that they need, um, water, hydration, um, everything like that, proper, um, vitamins and everything. And so the growth that they have physically is enormous over this time period. And I think it really invests when girls are, uh, growing most through adolescence. So we see a lot of physical health development, um, which then helps with their educational success and uh, well-being. And so we have that. And then, of course, life skills. So a lot of it is around agency and personal agency. How can the girls advocate for themselves? Are they developing a peer network that they can tap into? Um, are they able to, you know, speak on their own behalf um, and connect with uh, teachers, mentors, coaches, just really expanding the network that they can reach out to in need? So those are kind of, you know, the major points that we look at for the girls. And then, of course, with their mothers, we're also looking uh, for them to be able to invest in their own businesses so they can increase their income um, and provide for their child's education and for their family into the future. In Bakoji, we've had um, we've had some of the mothers, they came together with their savings group and decided to invest in their own shop in Ethiopia or in Bakoji, there's, um, you know, different market days that they have, but it's only two times a week. And so the mothers were limited in when they could sell their goods, like, um, you know, test flour or, um, local materials and everything. And so they created their own shop so that they could sell it every single day, um, at the mother's shop. And so they've been able to increase their income substantially that way. Um, and so we're really looking for people to be able to use 
this program in the best way fit for them. Um, but we also want to make sure that uh, the girls and their families are hitting some benchmark goals so that we know, um, so that they know really that they've been able to achieve something coming out of this program. Um, but the impact we've seen is pretty diverse and tailored to the the communities that are using it to their fullest advantage. That's amazing. It's truly a transformative program. I mean, physically, socially, economically, uh, culturally, to some level, these women are completely transformed during their time that they're involved. I think that's a pretty amazing thing and an incredible accomplishment of what you guys are trying to do. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, we we're just a small grassroots organization. So when we were looking at our program, we really had to see where are we having the greatest impact? How can we leverage the resources that we have and, you know, help women and girls access the opportunities that they need um, at the time that they need it the most? And so we really, uh, we didn't have um, space for excess or we had to make sure that our funds were invested to their fullest capacity. Um, and for not only for the community to see the result on that investment for, but for us to be able to really quantify, you know, what, uh, what we're doing because we are a bit of a smaller organization. So it's been, it's been great to kind of see the community, um, receive, uh, you know, the opportunities that we brought forward, but also make them their own and let us know, you know, what else is needed, where are greater spaces that we can invest in, how, how can we better the program. So we're constantly trying to adapt it um, to be as effective as possible. Let's look ahead a little bit. In the short term, I know in January of 2019, at the very beginning of the year, you have the first ever ultra relay that is going to occur. And it's going to go from the Bale Mountains to Bakoji. It's 100 miles and it will involve certainly the girls in the program. And I know people are coming in from outside of the country. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that event and the goal of it. Great. Yeah, it's the first ever ultra relay. I mean, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, Bokoji is definitely a huge running capital uh, for the world, I think. And so to be able to work with the community to do something new, uh, something that's never been done there before is really an exciting uh, venture for everyone. So we've been working uh, with Coach Sintayu and Coach Fatia, the Athletics Federation, um, and with the girls on identifying kind of um, a new adventure that we could do as a group, but also invite people to participate in. And so the, you know, Bokoji is in RC zone in Ethiopia, in uh, the Romia region. And the Bale Mountains is a neighboring zone and there uh, historically has been a bit of conflict in that region um, as Ethiopia has uh, politically evolved over the past decade. And so this run is really about the empowerment of women and bringing peace, um, promoting peace in that area. So it's been an exciting uh, project to work on with the local community in Bale zone and also in RC zone, talking about uh, promoting the newfound peace in that region and also a uh, focus that Ethiopia has taken around women's empowerment. And so for the girls in Bokoji to kind of be advocates for um you know, what they do and, and what they're excited about and what their community brings to the table and bring that, integrate that into the other communities in the region is really exciting. Uh, but they have also never been to the Bali Mountains. So it's a great adventure as well to kind of see a new part of the country uh, and be able to experience this running event uh, with the international community. So we've, we've invited uh, everyone to come out, be able to run with the girls and cross this 100-mile distance, you know, one that we'd never, the girls wouldn't be able to cross individually, but as a team, uh, we can make it happen. And then, of course, celebrate in Bokoji this amazing achievement. So I'm really looking forward to it as, uh, you know, I've been working in Bokoji for a long time, and um, the community is really looking forward to something that is fresh, something different. And I think that this is something that uh, they'll remember for a long time. We all will. So I think it's so, to it. I think it's so cool. Who or oh, how, so glad. <laughs> how many people do you have coming in from outside of Ethiopia to take part in this event? 
Yeah, we have 28 people right now, which is great. And then we'll have the girls, our, our running team, uh, run the event as well. So it'll be kind of uh, like half and half with foreign foreign runners and then local athletes with Girls Gotta Run. But it's amazing that so many people are excited and willing to take the time and and put the resources in to come all the way out to Ethiopia to support the girls in crossing this distance um, and really helping to make that possible for them. So it's just really incredible to see that many people want to come out. Um, I mean, we've never invited uh, the international community to join us on a trip or uh, like an event out here as, you know, we're grassroots. So we haven't been able to host something like that. So it's been really wonderful to see people want to come out. Um, you never know when you kind of put something out there like that, if people will be moved to want to support the girls in that way. Um, so we're really excited to have them there and it'll be, uh, Ethiopian Christmas when they arrive as well. So we'll get to celebrate that important Orthodox holiday, um, with the Bakoji community. So I think that'll be fun culturally as well. And can folks still support the race and the folks who are running it? I know I pledged some support month, about a month and a half ago. Is that still open? Can people still support the Girls Gotta Run Foundation through this race? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So um, there's definitely ways to support. Uh, you can learn more about that on our website at girlsgotterun.org. Uh, but you can uh, donate directly through PayPal um, on our on our website, and that really goes towards the girls and their um, full scholarship and education. Um, and you know, six hundred dollars a year supports a girl and her mom in our full program, including the you know life skills, athletics, education, and savings and entrepreneurship. So you know any amount really makes a huge difference. And a lot of the, um, you know, what the relay is about is not only coming out to physically support the girls in crossing this distance, but it's been a donation to give back to the Pakoji community. Um, so this program can continue, uh, to be a resource for girls and women, um, in that location for a long time. And long-term, where does girls got to run go from here? Yeah. Uh, continuing to grow. <laughs> Great question. So we're really looking forward to, you know, we've had several years of working on the athletic scholarship program, implementing it, um, adapting it to different communities. And we're looking in, in the next year or so to scale that program into different program locations uh, throughout Aromia region in Ethiopia and beyond that. And so we're excited about the opportunity to bring this program to new communities and continue to expand it uh, in uh, the current locations that it's in. But we've been doing a lot of different um, activation events like International Day of the Girl pop-up 5K we've had every year in October. So we're excited to kind of sustain and build out those events that we've been working on that engage the international community while also scaling our program and impact in Ethiopia. So hopefully being able to you know, engage more people in learning about the girls, learning about their stories and bringing those uh, community values and community needs to the forefront uh, so more people can get to know Girls Gotta Run. Well, you're doing great work. It was awesome for me to learn more about it. It was really a pleasure to be able to share more about it with my listeners here on The Morning Shakeout. So thank you so much for a great conversation. Thanks, Mario. I really appreciate it. I love um, your show, so I love being able to kind of talk with your audience. Thank you for that opportunity. It's been really wonderful. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, hit me up on Twitter. That's at Mario Fraioli, M-A-R-I-O-F-R-A-I-O-L-I, and give it to me. The good, the bad, the ugly, I can take it all. You can also go to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to audio and leave a rating and a review. It only takes a few minutes, but helps other listeners to discover the show, and it really means a lot to me. Thank you so much to everyone who's done so already. Another thank you to Morton for sponsoring this episode. Morton is the sports fuel used by many of the world's top marathoners, including Elliot Kipchoge, Mo Farah, Mary Katani, and Des Linden, just to name a few. It's also what I use to break my own personal best at CIM a few weeks ago, and I could not recommend it highly enough give it a try. 
Morton has set up a special contest for Morning Shakeout listeners where you can win heaps of free product. All you have to do is go to morton.com, that's M-A-U-R-T-E-N.com slash AM Shakeout and register with your email address. At the end of Morton's sponsorship of this podcast, they're going to draw 10 winners at random and each winner will get a full box of 160 drink mix, a full box of 320 drink mix, and a full box of Gel 100 packets. That is over $130 of free product, folks. Enter for your chance to win it at morton.com slash am shakeout once again that's m-a-u-r-t-e-n.com slash am shakeout one last big thank you goes out to john summerford as always from bearsrecords.com he's the man behind the audio magic here at the morning shakeout and quite frankly this show doesn't happen without him so thank you john that's all i've got until next time i am mario fraley and this has been the morning shakeout podcast Mm -hmm.